I do understand 45 minutes later at a post-fight press conference in between bites of pizza, which whoever is running the goddamn PR team, stop the fighters from bringing goddamn pizza to the press conference. What's happening, guys? Happy Tuesday. And thank you for joining another special episode of You're Welcome. Wow, what a weekend it was from Boston. And what an honor it was for me to be there in person. And you know what, guys? Coming up on today's show, I want to share with you my reactions to the beatdown that Ian Gary put on Neil Magny, plus some of the other incredible performances that we all saw on Saturday night. But before we get into any of that, guys, you know where this is going. Let's begin with The Sugar Show. made a comparison. He was talking about Sugar Sean O'Malley. You wonder who he compared him to? Israel Adesanya. I had not thought of that. Nobody has ever made that comparison for me. As soon as Teddy said it, boom, I get it and I see it. Our sport, by the way, is in an era that it has never been in before. One thing that we learned in 1993 when we were trying to figure out what the greatest art was is that it wasn't even competitive grappling. Wasn't even a competitive maybe. The most dominant art in the world that the world had ever seen is grappling. Now, you could start to have a discussion over which form, but in 1993, until roughly now, it's been grappling. I thought about what Teddy said. Let's start at the top. Now, I'm going to bring Francis into this because Francis left as champion who wasn't beaten. Oh, by the way, when Francis stopped, even if you want to run it back one, that was surreal gone. But these were both strikers. Neither one has ever had a wrestling match. Neither one has a singlet in their closet. And that's very unheard of in the UFC. It has happened before, but it's very unheard of. A guy that's never had a wrestling match. All right, so we got, but we got two. We got Francis... Or you could take France away because he retired and, and go to Surreal. I mean, re- really interesting. You bring it down one, where would you put Prohaska? I don't know of a wrestling match that Prohaska's had. I do know he comes from a part of the world that's pretty strong in wrestling. But I don't know of a match that he's had. I've never heard of that. I've never heard of Prohaska being invited to Abu Dhabi. I've never heard about him entering a trials or wanting to go to Abu Dhabi. I don't know anything about his grappling background. I admit he's very skilled at grappling. I'm just sharing for you. Do you put him into the striker category? And you most certainly would put Jamal there. Of course you would. He was a college basketball player. That's the opposite of wrestling. It's like the cops and the firemen. They just can't get along, right? The basketball players and the wrestlers, they can't get along. It's two meaningful sports. They go at the same time. You have to choose one, so they just end up not liking each other. I'm just sharing for you. For sure you got to put him into the striker category. Not to mention... You go down a weight class, Israel Adesanya, Alex Pierre, right? I mean, they're banging this back and forth. Neither one has ever had a wrestling match. It's really interesting time in our sport. You bring it down one to 170 pounds. You got Leon Edwards. He comes from Britain. This doesn't even contest wrestling. I mean, see where I'm going with this? Now, all of a sudden, you have Sugar Sean O'Malley, who's also the champion. And Sean does have a grappling background, but we can all agree that that's a striker. 
we can all agree about that power, about that precision, about that length. We can all agree about his anti-wrestling and how much he likes to keep it on the feet. He does have a competitive grappling background. But he would go to the category of striker. I like the comparison by Teddy Atlas. And this is a time that strikers have earned. They've worked for this. They never conceded. They never conceded from 1993. They stayed after. They stayed after the crowd. What's the weakness? What's the problem? Here's what we're going to do. Here's how we're going to fix it. And now they've taken over the sport. Or, or so it would seem. I mean, I got to tell you, when I do look at the heavyweight division, I, I, I got to pay the respect to, to Francis, and I got to acknowledge what Surreal had done. But as I look at the heavyweight division, it is the first time in history we don't have an All-American an All-American wrestler anywhere in the division, not at the top, not in the top 10 or within the rankings. He's not even signed. We would have an All-American wrestler signed to the heavyweight division in three years. Are you aware of that? Are you aware of that? The night Daniel Cormier walked away is the last time an All-Americans even been in the division. But I got to bring that to you because the, the strikers get to take their victory lap. Without question, they do. How do you have a wrestler be on top when you're not even signing them? I mean, what, what is that about? Is that purely coincidence? Is that nothing to do with anything? Most likely. I mean, are, are, are those guys at that weight class just, just not going and raising their hand and doing that? Most likely. I'm just pointing out that it's not there. I, we, we had this with Abu Dhabi a, a couple of Abu Dhabis ago. A good friend of mine, but he put out a piece saying that jiu-jitsu, after Abu Dhabi, jiu-jitsu has clearly shown that it is the greatest. You didn't let any wrestlers into the event. Like the days where Mark Kerr would come in with a purple belt and smash all of your guys, you didn't let any wrestlers into the event. So sure, jiu-jitsu is number one. You only let jiu-jitsu guys into the event. It's an interesting time, man. How are they doing it? How are they getting it done? How is striking now been so effective? And even at 205 pounds, like, I don't think that's going to go anytime soon. It looks like it's going to be Piera versus Pro Hoska. I mean, it looks like that we're going to keep these strikers. It's going to be heavy. It's an interesting time, right? If you were to get your kid into martial arts, or if you're a young man, you're 13, 14 year old, and this is your big dream, and you're seeing it on TV, it used to be that you would go and find your local grappling school. You would go and join your local high school wrestling team. But if you're watching the sport now and you're watching guys like O'Malley who are getting comparisons by the great Teddy Atlas, one of the greatest striking minds to ever live, he's making that comparison to Israel Adesanya, who's the reigning champion of the world. I mean, this is interesting stuff. It's a different time. And the baton is being passed. For how long? I don't think any of us saw this coming, though. I don't think any of us saw a time when striking was going to take over in mixed martial arts. It looked as though that debate was settled in 1993, but it's back right now in 2023. Sugar Sean and Aljamain will never fight again. Now, you, you gotta understand, all you gotta do is look at history, right? Historically speaking, what happens? Do we do immediate rematches? Yes, we do immediate rematches. Do we do rematches? Not as often, no. They happen. But are you talking about 
main event title shots? No, those are done immediately, or those aren't done. Now, I, I got to bring this to you, right? We have a number of analytics departments within MMA, and they are all a complete waste of money. For free, you can come to Chael's YouTube channel, where not only is there an audit, there's a public audit. This single largest voice in MMA. I don't say that to be a jerk. My number's right there. And I've had people tell me, Chael, you say that, but Rogan's bigger. No, he's not. I don't talk about the moon landing and aliens and pot over here. I am laser focused on MMA. We are not even close. And you know when I tell you that? I watched something, and the biggest mistake that we make in this sport where we're attempting to identify who the star is, is whoever wins the fight gets all the credit. So you have a sold-out house where the loudest pop of the night is a negative chant F-U-Aljo. The largest reception of the entire night is when Aljo comes through the curtain and it was negative. They were booing him. I understand all of those things. That fight in that sold-out arena, had Aljo won, would have gone credit to Aljo. But because he lost, it goes the other way. I'm telling you, this is how this sport is done. If you have a massive fight, whoever wins it takes all the credit for every popcorn and beer sold. You can see the problem with that, right? Because you're not stupid. But that's the way that this works, which is why it's so incredibly flawed, which is why you don't need your analytics department. You can just come to my YouTube page. Now, far more over than that, Aljo was a gentleman. He was very polite. I had somebody call me and tell me that Aljo in defeat became their favorite fighter. They could not believe how humble he was, and how proper he was. Those things are true. Aljo represented himself very well, and he gave Sean his 15 minutes of fame. That's true. It's very hard to do that and get yourself a rematch at the same time. It's just very hard for them to go hand in hand. Like, I'm not coming out and telling you that Aljo did a poor or a negative job. I thought he did great. I thought he really was a gentleman. I thought he showed a lot of class. But he did hint that he might be retired. And whether that was his message or not, his exact words were, don't be surprised if you see me back in here. That's a quote. Don't be surprised if you see me back in here. Well, what is the other side of that? There's only, if that's one side of the coin, there's only one other side. What would that be? Don't be surprised if you don't see me back in here. It's a colossally difficult situation. When Aljo, who has absolutely earned the right to an immediate rematch, for sure he's earned that right. And this isn't just my opinion. Sugar Sean would have given it to him. He didn't ask for it. This wasn't a matter that Sugar Sean told him no or got up in the loft and pulled the ladder and wasn't grateful for the opportunity that Aljo had bestowed upon him. It was none of those things. Sean wasn't asked for it. Cheeto Vera did ask for it. Sean told Cheeto Vera yes in front of the world. Now we're moving in that direction. We're moving there very rapidly. I do understand 45 minutes later at a post-fight press conference in between bites of pizza, which whoever is running the goddamn PR team stop the fighters from bringing goddamn pizza to the press conference. They'll listen to you. You don't need to buffer. You don't need to go get Elliot and the team. Say to them, don't take food up there, and they won't take it. 
At any rate, in between bites of pizza, Aljo finally says, I, I would like the rematch, but you, you got to understand the very meaningful and significant difference, okay? We have to take the guy at his word. We don't have anything else. And it doesn't matter if it's a gimmick or a shtick. We're, we're bound to what he said. These aren't Chael's rules. It's the rules of the goddamn press conference. There's no punches being thrown. There's no training camp and no kicks. And there's no allies and partners and managers. It's nothing but words. We have to take your words. They matter. So when you attempt in between bites of a goddamn pizza to try to show that you're relaxed, right? I'm, I'm trying to show I'm relaxed. If I'm doing an interview and somebody's asked me that and I, and I don't want to do it, I can pick up my nails. This is a great tactic. This shows that I'm not really that into what you're saying. It sh it's a condescension, but it also shows a relaxation on my part. It's just a, it's just a tactic you do. So if your gimmick is no better than a goddamn cold slice of pizza with nothing to wash it down, don't do it. Everything matters. Your words were, I'm going to 145. I'm never fighting at this weight class. Again, I, I don't disagree with that. I think that that makes a lot of sense. Words have also been the Disha Lavili and the Aljo. They got to they gotta work something out, right? So... If they don't want to fight, they don't want to compete. I respect that. If Aljo stays within the division, he goes and becomes a contender, which is exactly what Marab is. They're fighting and they're competing. And whether that's for headlines and mandates of the masses, whether that's, that's for retweets and follows on social media, however you want to do it, you're now in a fight with a guy that you said you don't want to fight. So if you go that route and Sugar Sean and Cheetah go a different route, Rematches don't happen for titles unless they're immediate. Which, by definition, would be impossible to do. If Cheeto, in fact, is going to be next, right? I mean, it's, it's one of these really interesting spots where everything is now on the table. And I did think it was a missed opportunity. I do concede that Aljo had sportsmanship. I can see that his character and his politeness came through fully. I just share for you, that is the greatest bantamweight ever. Who could only be argued by Dominic Cruz. He deserves a rematch. But he didn't ask for a rematch. And he told us to not be surprised if he's back which means don't be surprised if I'm not back. These aren't my words, these aren't my thoughts. That's what happened. And my biggest message, my biggest message is everything that I've said, stop letting fighters bring food to a press conference. us to love him or to hate him and I gotta tell you I'm a little confused I'm, I'm not sure like he comes out and the first time I ever saw him was Madison Square Garden a couple of years ago Colby Covington versus Kamara Usman part two 
is what my memory is telling me, and he wins the contest. He's a handsome guy. He's a young guy. Throws his arm around Joe Rogan, cuts a promo, shows massive respect to Conor McGregor. I mean, he coined Conor McGregor's phrases and didn't attempt to steal them. He said and cited the source that inspired him, which was Conor McGregor. Which I don't know if Connor is loved or hated himself. Like, at this point, I don't know. People want to see him. He is still the sport's biggest draw. Like, that, that I don't question. But Connor has always walked the line of, go ahead and boo me. I dare you to boo me. It's been that massive attitude of, I don't care from McGregor that has been half of the charm Oh, McGregor, but I, I only bring that to you because I'm not certain where Ian Gary goes. Like, he's this really handsome guy, and then he goes off and he gets married, and now he's a father, and he's, got, he's just got this beautiful family. Like, everything you see about him, you would like him. Wouldn't you? I think. And then they brought him to Boston, and he had them eat. They were eating out of his hand. Like, everything was going his way. I was there. I was there live. The reception, the pop. I mean, that night was the Sugar Show. That is how that story will be told. If you were live in attendance, it was the Sugar Show with the supporting cast of Ian Gary. I mean, it was those two guys, for sure. And then you had a local East Coast house supporting UFC fan base of Chris Weidman. I don't know how many was in attendance. I didn't see that official number. But I know arenas. I can look around. Guys, there was 17 or 18 thousand people it was crazy where i was at and i was halfway up to the building if i looked up all the way, i couldn't it could be my mother up there i wouldn't recognize her this how that's how high this building goes it was packed and i suggest for you accurately if you would have taken a six-hour product in 11 fight card which is what that was and you would have cannibalized that down to three fights Chris Weidman, Ian Gary, and Sugar Sean's, you would have sold out that arena. Just as many people would have been there. Now, I'm still not sure if what Ian Gary did and Ian Gary's approach anywhere else other than Boston last week would have worked. And I don't mean would have worked for attention. I don't mean that he wouldn't have sold some tickets and been entertaining. I'm talking about what if he had the crowd on his side. There was some moments. He's this very handsome guy, right? And he's very good. But if you listen to him, I don't know that he was the nice guy. I don't know that he wanted or cared about having people cheer him. I mean, he took a very risky approach. He is a young up-and-comer, took on a veteran, a well-known product, and Neil Magny right there is tough. Just historically speaking. Generally, there would be an appreciation shown to Magni. Somehow, Ian Gary took a quote by Neil Magni, turned it upside down on its head, dumped gasoline on it. I mean, not only got many people to believe, I believe he convinced himself that Neil Magni was out of pocket. As opposed to Neil Magni said something and he didn't mean it as a direct application, which is very clearly what happened, right? And he told Neil Magny, he told Neil Magny, he said, 
silence, you're going to reflect. <laughs> you're going to reflect on what you said. He talked to Neil Magny like Neil was the child and he was the father. When Neil's the veteran and this is the, the child just by years and age and it worked and it was funny and I don't know how, but then, okay, so everything's going in Gary's way. He goes on, he puts out this performance. I mean, somehow he's, he's getting Neil Magny to go down from, from leg kicks which I thought was like an off-balance thing or just a timing or maybe like kind of like a sweep-the-leg type moment. I mean, you, it happened kind of fast. But if you fast-forward the match, right, I'm talking about the very first round, I'm talking about the very first two leg kicks. You fast-forward the match, and all of a sudden, Neil's limping around. He can't really use that leg anymore. And you go, oh, okay, he wasn't just off-balancing him. He's hurting him. Ian Gary's now got power, which we knew he had in his hands, and now we're finding out he's got in his legs. Like, I mean, as far as a performance goes... I have maintained for you for a period of time that Ian Gary doesn't know how good Ian Gary is. But when the end of the night comes, he then uses this opportunity to call out possibly the nicest guy in the sport in Wonderboy Thompson, right? I mean, if you call out Wonderboy, you're understanding that you're going to be booed. You're fully understanding going into that. I'm not in any scenario going to be a nicer guy than the nicest guy. Therefore, I go into the other role. But Ian Gary got the crowd to cheer. They got the crowd, he got the crowd behind him. And I'm just not convinced that if we were anywhere other than Boston, that that would have worked. And I'm also not convinced that Ian Gary cares. I don't think he needs to be cheered. I don't think that's the role he's trying to play. I don't fully know, but every single thing that he did was the role of the bad guy. It just happened to work. Right? I mean, it just happened that people were, they were into it. They were into Neil Magny sitting there. Thinking about what he said. He told the old man to sit there and reflect. He had to reflect. And then when it was over, right, he did it at the press conference. I'm assuming you guys know what I'm talking about. They get to a press, they're both on stage, the world is watching. And Ian Gary tells the media they're not allowed to ask Neil a question that Neil had misbehaved the day before. As though, as though he had violated the trust of the microphone and therefore has lost the ability to talk into said microphone. And instead, he was going to sit there and think about what it is that he has done. <laughs> and then, when it's over, when it's over, he tells Neil that he needs to go home and sit and reflect on everything he's ever done in life. <laughs> and it was so condescending. You know, there's things that you can't do and be a good guy. You cannot pour salt into the wound of a loser. By example, you can't do that and be loved by the audience. But he did. And did he get away with it just because we were in Boston? Did he get away with it just because he had support there? Or is Ian Gary changing the rules to the game? I think it's a fascinating topic. And I think a guy that is loved and people are on his feet, they're there to see him. 
It's pandemonium as he's cutting his interview as he's walking out. And then he calls out the nicest guy, which is Wonder Boy. You can't be cheered and call out the good guy. Or can you? You waited all year and the time has finally arrived. College football is back and so are the traditions, the tailgates, and the great offers. From DraftKings Sportsbook, right now, new customers can score $200 in bonus bets instantly when they bet just $5 on any college football bet. I'm out here in Oregon, and the Oregon State Beavers are looking as good as I've ever seen them. Many are picking them to win the conference. They're ranked number 18 in the nation. They beat the Ducks last year, and they sent the Ducks packing and headed to the Big Ten. It's kickoff season with DraftKings Sportsbook. Download the app right now. Use the code CHAIL. All new customers. You can score $200 in bonus bets instantly when you bet just $5 on any college football bet. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook with code CHAIL. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in New York. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to number 467 369 in West Virginia. Visit www.1800gambler.net in partnership with Hollywood Casino at Charlestown Races, all games regulated by the West Virginia Lottery. Please play responsibly. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort, Kansas, 21 and older, in most eligible states, but age varies by jurisdiction. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details and state-specific responsible gambling resources. Bonus bets expire seven days after issuance. Eligibility and deposit restrictions apply. Terms at sportsbook.draftkings.com slash MMA terms. Dana White begs Chris Weidman to retire at a post-fight press conference. Now, the reason I bring that to you is that has happened before, but I not five times. I mean, don't forget, when Dana thinks it's time for a guy to retire, Dana will cut the guy. The guy will not fight again. Chuck Liddell and Dana White, were, on a personal level, were very good friends. Dana retired him at a press conference and said, this is why, because we're very good friends, because I care. Now, Chuck was getting put to sleep, and I mean, there, there was some different stuff. I, I, I used the example that this was not Dana making a decision. This was Dana making a request. So you're getting a request from the guy who has the power to make the decision. Right, it's just an unusual spot. That's, that's all that I'm bringing to you. He must understand. Chris Weidman on Saturday did everything he set out to do. He did everything he said he was going to do. He inspired everybody that watched. He brought honor once again to his family. He was proving to himself that he could get up, that he could do this, that he could go through training camp that he could do it properly, which is what the weigh-in represented. The mere fact that he made weight showed you how hard he trained and how hard he prepared. Talk about guys that are well-rounded. We hear that term a lot in our sport, but th that started way back. Marco Huaz was the first guy to be well-rounded. That was 1994. 1995. But guys come along the way, right? Then you'll have a George St. Pierre, and he'll remind us what well-rounded actually means. 
as you play that game, Chris Weidman is a great representative, somebody who can do it all. I mean, Chris Weidman wanted to wrestle with Tavares. He went out there and tried to wrestle with Tavares. When Tavares was prepared for the wrestling, no one had used the cage. Chris switched it, and we ended up having a kickboxing match with a guy on a bionic leg. I mean, I'm going to share with you, Chris Weidman was awesome. That's what he set out to do, to prove that he could do it. He held up for 15 minutes. He had all the heart, all the grit. That was the performance. Now, my guess is that Chris Weidman is down in the dumps. He's got the post-fight blues. That's my guess. Because he forgot. He forgot this thing was never about outcome. Never. It was about perform. Everything Weidman said he was going to do, wanted to do, and set out to do, he did it. He did it. And... As athletes, particularly in this sport, we don't get better with time. And as athletes, particularly in this sport, experience isn't helpful. Like if, you, if you have somebody and you don't know anything about them, but they played 20 soccer games and you have somebody else and they haven't played any soccer games. They like it and they're on the soccer team and they got the cleats, but they haven't played yet. You would be very reasonable to assume the person that had 20 games is better. And you can take that over to basketball too. They've played 10 years of basketball. This guy has played one. I would assume the person that played 10 is better. And almost every time I'm going to be right. Makes sense what I'm saying, right? Well, it's not that way in fighting. You don't pick something up out there. You don't gain strength from beating your opponent like you do in the, the video games. You leave a piece of yourself out there. You got so many rounds in a clip. You don't know how many it is. Only the universe knows. You find out the hard way. And I suggest for you that Chris Weidman looked awesome. I suggest for you Chris Weidman just went and did something that I don't know any other man that can do. I don't want to like make comparisons here to come insensitive, but from my understanding of doctors that have talked about it, what Chris Weidman went through is more severe, right in line, but more severe than what Conor McGregor went through. But the timeline of when they were both hurt was pretty close, but Weidman's back at full speed. Very hard to do in your late 30s with the presence of USADA. That's just the truth. Everything that Weidman did is what he set out to do. Principle one for us was to inspire. He did inspire us. Principle one for his family was to show that you get up when you get knocked off, that's it. And he did it. And he did it hard for 15 minutes. And his whole body held up. And I just suggest for you, the end is going to come. And when the end comes to go out on your terms, meaning you're the one that made the decision, I have a contract, my contract is active. They will honor the contract. Get me an update, get me an opponent, I'll get the training camp to keep living that same life. When that is still in play and you say, stop, that's what's called going out on your own terms. And it's a big deal. This is a future Hall of Famer, not even maybe. I frankly don't know what's holding him up. They could put him right now while he's still active. Who never went against the rules. Did everything he ever said he was going to do. This is an honorable guy who went out and showed honor. And you want to go out on the right performance? That was it. That was a great performance.
That took heart and grit and toughness. Chris Weidman goes out there. He's fighting Southpaw 85%, 90% of the fight. Switches to orthodox, switches back, gets his leg cut. His conditioning so good that he can stop partway through the second round and yell at the guy. I mean, it was great. Everything about it was great. I don't know when the ending comes, getting to fight at home, having that reception from the crowd. On television, just for example, when you're on the prelims, they don't show the walkout. They come back from commercial break. Two guys are in the ring. Got a guy in a shark suit screaming into a microphone, getting way too close to the brute cutter in the blue corner. That's what you have. They showed Weidman's walkout because it's so epic. Tom Petty hits. Won't back down, comes on. The former world champion walks out. The crowd is going crazy. That was the night. That was the night. Everything's perfect. The stage is set. The job is done. The promises were kept. It was never about outcome. It was always about performance. And Chris Weidman delivered. Conor McGregor. And I gotta tell you, this has been the fight all along. All along it has been Conor versus Usada, and it was a massive question of who's going to win. Now, if this is the one that I wanted, by the way, because Conor's argument is extremely strong. I mean, I'll just offer you that. Usada was very bad form coming out and speaking on what would happen should Conor return, considering Connor had not returned, right? Anytime that you come out and you're getting ahead of something and you're trying to deal with a problem that doesn't currently exist, it's a very risky game, and Usada didn't need to do it. But they came out with a statement, and this is just Chael's opinion, right? Connor McGregor has only sold one thing in his entire time in this industry, which is power. When I say sell, I mean perform, I mean faint, I mean hint. I mean act as though he has something that he doesn't. For a while, people thought he was selling skills, that it wasn't real. Conor McGregor might be the best fighter to have ever done it. He really might be. If you understand how hard 145 pounds is and how hard 155 pounds is, for sure, one of those two is the hardest weight class in our industry. I believe it to be 155, but I'd listen to an argument for 145. I mean, off, after all, a 145-pounder is the number one ranked guy in the world. And that's happened three times through history, so maybe it is 45. Either way, McGregor won them both. He won them simultaneously. Oh, by the way, when he got to the final match, the gold medal match, if you will, he finished. He finished at 45 to win the strap, which shows absolute domination over the field. Twice. The two times he was a world champion at 145, which people forget. When he fought Chad Mendes, it was for a world championship. It's called interim. World championship. He finished. He finished Jose Aldo at 155 with Eddie Alvarez. There was a finish. I'm just saying he showed absolute domination. He might be the best fighter ever. It's been tried. Other people have tried to duplicate it. Volkanovski, just by example, as great as he is, and he is as great as he is, he tried to do what Connor did and didn't do it. I'm just sharing for you. That's how good the guy is. But there was a period of time we thought he was that was, he was selling it. He's not that good. He's going to go and box Floyd Mayweather. He has absolutely no chance. It's the mismatch of the century. You couldn't get any crooks aside from the Nevada State Athletic Commission to even sanction.
a 0-0 amateur against a 50-0 professional. And Connor went out and went with him for a half hour. I'm just sharing for you. Some of these things we thought he was selling, turned out he really had. The only thing that he never had that he pretended he did was power. And it was great. I loved it. I don't turn on Connor. That was great. We had leaders in our industry We were out doing interviews talking about the power of Conor McGregor. I could cite them for you one after the next. If you don't have the ability to sign an athlete, cut an athlete, control an athlete's pay, determine when somebody is going to fight, you don't have power. And I only bring it to you because it was a great sales job and he got people to believe it. And over the weekend, for the first time ever, he revealed he didn't have it. It's never happened before. Connor comes out over the weekend and says, I'm not fighting in December. Says, I wanted the announcement. They're keeping me from my livelihood. I feel as though I'm a victim. I felt this way for years. But I'm not going to hang my head. I'm going to soldier forward. I mean, this is a big deal. I was there on January 19th. When Conor McGregor wanted to fight, but there was no show. There literally wasn't even an event. So they put one together. Conor went up to 170 pounds. It was opposite Cowboy Cerrone. They sold out in way less than 24 hours. And put on a really monumental night. All because Connor was willing. Now Connor is revealing to us, I'm willing. I want to do this. Where's the announcement? You don't have a main event for December. We've all talked to Colby and Leon. You don't have a main event. We've heard from Sugar Sean, and we know that he wants Cheeto Vera. But we also know that you haven't signed it. So I will do it for you. And now, for the first time ever... I'm being overlooked. What do you tell Michael Chandler in that situation? Right, what do you tell Michael Chandler? If you've been telling Michael Chandler for a year, hey man, we're trying to get it done. This dude in Ireland, he gave us his word and now he's pulling out. I don't know what's going on. He's not in the pool. It's this whole mess. Oh my goodness, we can't get him to do it. And now you find out he will do it. He wants to do it. He's asking to do it. What do you tell Michael Chandler? I mean, what would the excuse be now? We don't make the decisions. We we get this other company. We pay them $10 million, but they, they tell us what to do. It's, it's a really weird dynamic, but at any rate, we're, we're still working. I'm just asking. I'm just simply asking a question. I, I find it to be very interesting. I find it to be interesting to the point that I'm not convinced it happened. The same exact thing, which is, it's his voice memo. It's his voice memo that comes out through X, Twitter. And it's Conor McGregor in a blue suit, and it's Conor McGregor's voice giving a message. And it really sounded like him. I think it was him. He said stuff that would be very sincere. You know, he talked about the ultimate fighter. He talked about the athletes on there. I'm really quite sure it was him. But I can also remember the first time that this came out, it was the exact same thing over Conor's official Twitter handle. It's a picture of him in the suit. It's this little thing that gives your eyes this weird trance, and then there's a voice, and he gave a message to Michael Bisping, and Bisping even responded to it. He thought it was Connor, and it wasn't Connor. It wasn't Connor. It was somebody else doing the accent. I don't know. I mean, I'm just sharing for you. Like, there's a lot up in the air here. There's a lot of really unusual things that came from this. And if Connor wants to fight so bad, 
Or if Connor thinks they are stopping, who is the they? Who's the they that's not letting him fight? I have a hard time believing that's the UFC when I'm armed with the fact of the January event that got put together all because Connor said he wanted to fight. Connor was even to go to a weight class that wasn't his. I mean, he got a 45-pounder, he got a 55-pounder, and he goes all the way up to 170 just to make it happen. That's how badly he wanted, right? When Connor says he's ready to do something, you can count on him. But he hasn't entered the pool. And it's just an interesting thing. Connor, even in this piece, referenced Bob Bennett, but Bob Bennett retired. It's not Bob Bennett's decision. It would have nothing to do with Bob Bennett. And just so you understand that, Bob Bennett, who did a great job, was a former executive director of the Nevada State Athletic Commission. So if Connor said, I want to fight in December, which is an event that's being held in Nevada, so he's talking about, I need Bob Bennett, unretire, come on, let's get this done. All Bob can do is license you. Nevada will license you right now. You don't need to be in USADA to get licensed. There's a number of mixed martial arts fighters in Nevada that are not in USADA, that are licensed. So it's not its not a licensing. I mean, I'm just sharing that with you. Like, who, who was it that he was blaming? He said, they won't let me fight. Who's they? And then the only reference, the only hint that he gave us is Bob Bennett, if Bob would unretire, we could go get this whole thing done. No, they'll license you right now. So what's he talking about? Who's they? UFC doesn't want the big fight? Do they ever want the fight? You said you'll fight. Chandler said you'll fight. Do they want the fight? Well, if they don't want it here, why, why, why would they want it later? Or is that not the they? Is the they USADA? And it's a very interesting one. I want the fight to happen. It looks like it's not going to happen. As a matter of fact, it looks like it just did happen. And it was a TKO for USADA. will not wait for Islam Makachev. Now, I got to tell you, that is a very different tune. I'm into it. I think it's refreshing. It's a different tune, though. Can we agree? Here's the question. Is it the right tune? So, Volk said, and I love this about Volk, by the way. I love what a competitor he is. I mean, so many guys talk like this, like, I'm the next Cowboy Cerrone, until their phone rings, and then, oh, my elbow hurts. And my, I mean, they all do. Volk's the real deal. Volk never asked for more money that we hear. We don't have to hear about this stuff publicly in the money match and all, all this different crap. He just asked for a match. Volk will go to a press conference. Hey, what do you want next? I want to match. I don't want to wait. I mean, he means these things. Then his phone rings. Hey, you want to fight Max a third time on short notice? Your absolute hardest opponent who you don't owe a fight to? A third to God, what is it? A fourth time even? Am I right? And he says yes. So now we know that he's sincere. I mean, I only bring that to you because Volk comes out and says... Yes, I wanted to fight Islam, but if you look at the date, that's in October where he's going to fight Charles, which means I'm not going to fight him until next year, and I'm just not going to wait that long. That means that Ilya Taporia is next. I wish Taporia had been running his mouth more. I enjoyed it. He's kind of stopped, but he is going to be next. Great. I love this. I love it a lot. Does it work? Can you do it? If the reason that you want to fight at 145 as opposed to 155 has to do with the dates, and you don't want... He said this himself in the interview. He drew a line. He doesn't want to go into next year. He wants to do it this year. Where are you going to do it at? All right? Where, where are you going to do it at? So 
We got Australia coming up. They booked Izzy. Volk's got a hurt elbow. He's not quite back. He said he's doing some weight training. He's not fully there. So we could go ahead and dismiss next month. Takes you into October, Fight Island, but we got a main event. So then we have November at Madison Square Garden where you could go play second fiddle to the heavyweights. And I do believe in my own heart they're going to pad that card. I don't believe they believe that John Jones can sell out an arena considering he never has. And I'm not trying to be a dick about it. I think they're going to pad the card. I think we're going to get another massive fight put on that card. So maybe there's an opportunity there for Volkanovski. Maybe there's an opportunity there for somebody. Maybe it's Volkanovski and Ilya Teporia. I think that that would all be hedging on who is the main event in December. Did Sugar Sean's call out of Cheeto Vera specifically for December disrupt whatever plan they had for December? And when and where are Colby and Leon going to fight? You got to ask these questions because I'm not positive the litmus test that Volkanovski put out there can be met. If the test is, I'll fight Islam if we're going into 2024, but I, I don't want to do that. Therefore, I'm going to fight Tapori in 2023. Can he fight him in 2023? It's just my question. I don't have the answer to it. It would just seem as though if you look at a calendar and you look at the dates, we have our number one fighter in the world, who is Alex Volkanovsky, asking to be a co-main event. Not willing to be. He's asking to be. We have all of our main events taken in 2023 where he says is the year that he needs to fight. Right? I, I feel like I'm being redundant, but I'm really trying to prove this point because a champion should never call for a shot that they can't get. And meanwhile, not only is a champion calling for a shot that I'm, in, I'm interested in him getting, I'm interested. It's not going to be a top billing, so right there is a little bit weird, but uh, okay. Um... He's calling for it while saying he's hurt. All right? I mean, we got to get in a hurry if you want to get this done. I'm just saying, if you want to get it done in this year, the pieces are falling into place. I can't in good faith book you while you're telling me I'm injured and I can't even train. Even if you say it's getting better and I'm going to be better soon. It would just be a really, really weird thing for me to do. If I'm in that position, I'm going to send out a contract, I'm going to book a date, I'm going to tell, you know, like there's a few things that happen once we come to an agreement, even if you're in a co-spot, which apparently you're asking for, or you don't have a calendar. That's also possible. I mean, there are many guys, it's not just Sandhagen, that have no idea what's going on in our industry. Of the 763 athletes signed at the Ultimate Fighting Championships located in Las Vegas, Nevada, You'd be stunned how few of them could tell you that we do a pay-per-view once a month. Like, they just wouldn't even know that. I just don't think that Volk is one of those guys. I think he does know it. Apparently, he doesn't care about being a co-main event. And that's okay. I didn't know that. Apparently, he doesn't care. Or he just threw his hat into the same ring that Colby and Leon and Sean and Cheeto were in. And I, that I would like. That I would like. I would like that battle. I would like to see how that goes. Now, if Ilya Teporia continues to be radio silent for reasons unknown, they're not They're not likely to get that nod. And I just don't know where that's going to go. I don't have an overarching opinion on this as much as this was good info from our number one ranked fighter. The GOAT of the entire sport. 
it's a big deal. I mean, if, if the only thing is I'll do Islam, if we, we roll into next year, I won't do, I'll do Tapori as long as it's going to be this year. Well, where are you going to find him at? Let's just start with that. Where are you going to find him? Is there four cards left? Is there five cards left? And what, what do we got here? We got, we got September, which is a no. We got October. We got November. We got December. Okay, so there's four. There's four pay-per-views left this year. Where are you going to find him at? The only one that doesn't have an announced main event is in December. Do you believe you can get that nod over Colby and Leon and now the new immersion of Sean and Cheeto? Or do you not care about main events? Fair enough. And I just think it's a it's an interesting spot because if you come out and say I'm I'm going after Ilya Tapore, he's next, and that is what was said. We have to take you at your word, which means any plans for backup position and Fight Island for the main event of Charles versus Islam, which Charles says he's not going to do. In any plans to do that, we can't do because you said you're going to do Taporia. So we also have Justin Gaethje. And we never weighed in if it was going to be you or if it was going to be Gaethje. We stayed away from this whole thing. But now that you've removed yourself, we can confidently tell the world it's going to be Gaethje. Now, if you try to come back in, it's still Gaethje. Once we make that uh, deal, we make that deal. So everything just changed. Every, everything just shifted. And by the way... If I sound unpleased, I love it. I love it. Thank you to Volkanovsky. Thank you for clearing this up. 55 is a real mess as I see it. 50, we got Charles. We're telling everybody Charles is going to do the fight. Charles has told nobody he's going to do the fight. In fact, he said the opposite. We got Gagey says he wants the fight. Volk had apparently already made a deal with the organization that if he win and, and, and Islam win, they match up. Volk did his part, but is now saying, I don't want to wait. I'm into it. I like the whole thing. I like the Taporit match. I agree with Volk. He needs to start speaking up. I don't love the idea that our number one fighter in the world, who is Volk, that, that ranking is right. I don't love the idea that he's vying for co-main event positions, but that's his business, not mine. And that is your update on Volkanovski. All right, guys, that's it for today's episode. Thank you for listening. And guess what? Old Uncle Chael dusted off the pen and wrote a forward to my producer's new book. If you want to check it out, visit the link in the show notes of today's episode. I'm going to be back with another podcast on Friday. Guys, until then, I am Chael Sonnen, and you are welcome. <laughs>